Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we talk about the strange, the bizarre, and the sacrilegious from the video store era. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Hi there. If you at home would like to join us on a slow descent into satanic madness, then, as of this broadcast, you can find 1977's A La Carta, also known as Sisters of Satan, Mark of the Devil 3, probably no relation to the other two, Innocence of Hell, not to be confused with Innocence from Hell, and also sometimes subtitled The Daughter of Darkness. As of this broadcast, it can be found for free on YouTube, and you, like us, can become enraptured in the forbidden convent romance between a drifting orphan and a demon-possessed manic pixie dream girl. Uh, I don't know if I'd apply the manic pixie dream girl title, but otherwise I liked that summary. Mm. That's good. Good synopsis, Leland. You know, what's interesting is that I, I could not find this on any streaming service. I could only find it on YouTube. Yeah, it's been it's been released on Blu-ray and DVD and all of that in the last few years. But I first saw this movie, I actually rented this movie from Stardust when Stardust still had movies. So Leland and I used to live near this video store and coffee shop called Stardust. And it was kind of like uh, you rented unusual foreign films, art house films, things like that. And they had an awesome horror section. It was like in its own room and lots of like the movies that go for big bucks and I can't afford now. Um, but when they closed, I bought all their horror VHS for a dollar a piece. And this was one of them. Uh, I have the, t the version titled Innocence from Hell. So that's how I originally saw it. And for years, it was really hard to get. Like it just, there was no official DVD release, but now it's fairly easy to get. And I think it's become fairly well known. Like it's, it's, if it didn't have one already, it's developed a real cult following in the last, I don't know, decade, I guess. Well, first off, Stardust used to be pretty wild. They used to have a bunch of doors, like old beat up doors set up in a large like sitting dining room. It was kind of like a maze. Yeah, and all the VHS's boxes were velcroed to the doors. Just tons of old stuff. Yeah, a lot of my uh a lot of my tapes that I got from them, the ones I've kept, still have the velcro on them. I'm really surprised we did not watch this like a decade ago. I'm not sure why we never did. I've always liked this movie. Have have you seen like how many non exploitation movies have you seen? Does does Elsa and the the She Wolf of the SS count? I think there were nuns in that, right? No, I would consider that like Nazi exploitation or whatever. Not exploitation. That sounds good. I um, feel like exploitation and like metal as genres are similar in that you can just apply any word in front of them you want. And there will always be subjects where you're not quite sure which one to use. And then people in coffee shops like Stardust argue over it, like vehemently over which one is correct. Well, now we have a podcast so we can argue over such petty things. Uh... So anyway, I would not include Ilsa. Um, 
I actually, I can't watch those movies. There are very few things that I can't watch, um, but I can't watch any of the the Nazi exploitation films. I just, not not that I necessarily draw a line by saying like this topic is off limits to discuss or to exploit. I just can't personally handle it. How about Sister Act? You know, Whoopi really exploited the convent's trust right in that film uh, you're pushing it but i'll give it to you <laughs> so how does this how does this rank compared to sister act oh uh, you know i think i like this i think i like a la carte a little more just a little more yeah i i, I actually like sister act but i have a soft spot for musicals hmm. so yeah i i like nunsploitation as a genre um I think this, and at some point we're going to do Satanico Pandemonium on here, which is the other famous Mexican exploitation or non-exploitation movie. I watched one by Joe D'Amato recently called Images from a Convent. It was unquestionably the dirtiest one that I've ever seen. It was basically hardcore. I know I've seen non-exploitation films before. But the fact that none of them are coming to mind means they probably weren't anything worth talking about. But I will forever remember this film. Yeah, most of them don't really have stories, but I enjoy them anyway. There's one called The Other Hell. That's a Italian one. That one's pretty good. Um, the Sinful Nuns of St. Valentine. That's a fun one. So for the listeners at home, if you had to pick one nunsploitation film to add to your bucket list is this the nunsploitation to watch yeah i would say so i mean this is definitely my favorite and i think well we'll see what you think as the episode goes on but i think this one has the most artistic merit except for maybe ken russell's the devils so the devils is often held up as the standard nunsploitation movie but but the devils is is more of a yeah it's surreal because all ken russell movies are surreal but it's it's got a degree of historical importance and it, the the sole point of it is not showing like naked nuns making out with one another so i just i i often don't put it in the same category so if we leave out the devils i think this is the most artistic of the nunsploitation movies the Devils is not on YouTube. I tried looking for that one, but I have not seen it myself. I think there's two versions of it. I think you want to get an unreleased or un unrated version. Yeah, I know the film's reputation where it was banned in many countries at the time of release. Do you have a VHS copy of it lying around? I don't. I sold mine quite a while ago, but if I can scrounge one up, I'll send you a copy appreciate it did did you go with me to see ken russell at uh, for they were screening crimes of passion no i did not so i i am so glad i got to see a q a with this man um before he he left our world he struck me as exactly like his movie struck strike me he was quite crazy and so this guy stood up and asked what was the inspiration behind Ken Russell's scene in 
Tommy with the baked beans. So if you've seen Tommy, you know what I'm talking about. But Ken got really mad and he was like, we're not here to talk about Tommy. We're here to talk about crimes of passion. Like, don't ask me about Tommy. So then second to last question, the same guy stands up again and he says, I'm sorry, but I just have to know what is the inspiration behind the baked beans scene? Ken Russell looks at him really seriously and says one word, genius. And I will forever remember Ken Russell for that moment. It was great. I can't think if I've ever seen a film by him before. I think you've seen Gothic. That's the one where like all the romantic writers like Lord Byron and Percy Shelley like do a lot of drugs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I've seen at least one. Yeah. And you might have seen Lair of the White Worm, which I think was like, what's his name's first movie? Um, Romantic comedy, Hugh Grant. That's Hugh Grant's first movie, I think. The title sounds familiar, but I can't think of what it is or if I've seen it. Yeah, I don't I don't love that one. I think Gothic is my favorite. But anyway, let's get back to tonight's movie, to Alicarda. So this was a first time watch for you, right? Yes. All right, so you kind of already suggested this, but should people check this out if they haven't seen it before? Yeah, so I watched this on VHS and... It was exactly the same as what I found on YouTube. So if you haven't seen it, and you can't find a VHS copy. You are free to just watch that and, and you will not be missing out on anything. Um, I don't think we know if there's actual differences between the like seven different titles this movie was released under. I don't think so. I think they're all uncut, but I could be wrong. But just in case, just in case though, you can find a pretty raunchy one on YouTube. And I can't imagine there's anything else that was cut from what I saw. Yeah, and that's that's the version that was released on VHS in like early 80s. I'm kind of shocked that this did not get cut to pieces. Was this banned anywhere? This was pretty sacrilegious. I don't know, but I'm looking at my VHS right now. It was put out by Premier Entertainment International. The runtime on it is 94 minutes, which, well, the runtime on IMDb is 78 minutes. So we know that's wrong. Yeah, the YouTube one is is like an hour 14. Yeah. I mean, I only skimmed through it, but it seemed pretty comparable to the vhs so i'd imagine it's probably the same so this movie was directed by juan lopez moctezuma who was a friend and collaborator of alejandro yodorowsky who i know we are both fans of did did this give you any yodorowsky vibes yes almost immediately i was picking up those mad yodorowsky vibes and I mean, they, they ran in the same circles when Yodorowsky lived in Mexico. It, it's the same production value. And then when I read afterwards that the film was made in Mexico, I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's close enough to Yodorowsky. Yeah, Moctezuma uh, produced a couple of Yodorowsky's early movies. But I, I know that they were friends. And so... Moctezuma directed three movies that I'm aware of. Um, one is 
my t- my copy is called Dr. Tar's Tortured Dungeon, but it was also called uh, House of Madness. And it's his version of an Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. So whatever you imagine his version of Edgar Allan Poe would be, you're probably pretty close. Um, I like that one. It's not as good as, as Alucarda. And then the other movie he did was called Mary, Mary, Bloody Mary, which is kind of like a 70s art house vampire flick, really similar to Daughters of Darkness for people who've seen that, like same sort of vibe. Anyway, I like all of them, but Alucard is certainly my favorite. Are these all titles we could potentially be watching in the future? Yeah, for sure. All right, so there is no... Oh, wait, I just got to add the tape you gave me I don't. Uh, where, first off, do you buy used VHSs? Yes. Okay. So the beginning of this a la carte VHS had part of the opening to the Brady Bunch on it. Yeah. So usually, <laughs> usually when I make a dub for you, I use a blank tape, like a new one, but I ran out. And so I had to record over something. And th- so that's what you got. The quality suffered a little bit, but it wasn't anything distracting. I mean, it's VHS, you know, you don't really expect. Yeah, actually, I watched my VHS that I dubbed yours off of, and the quality wasn't great either. Like, there were tracking issues and stuff, so. Yeah, all right, so it might just be from the original then, rather than the the Brady's trying to rise through the, (laughs) the, the sacrilege. Right. So... Anyway, there is there is no trailer that we could find in English for this film. So I'm going to play something else here and then we're going to get into it.
Okay, so this movie opens in kind of like a stone castle chamber room, but it's falling apart and there's like vines and plants everywhere. I love this set. Like it's obviously a set, but it's gorgeous. Did this stand out to you? Yeah, this major cave. I meant to go back and look to see if this chamber is the same as the tomb i think it is i think it's i think we're meant to take it as okay i wasn't sure but yeah i i love this set and it it this isn't like the only one this this aesthetic continues no this movie gains so much from its settings which are all like authentic old stone cave buildings, uh, decrepit, lots of wildlife overgrowth and plants and forest. And it's just, like I said, it's obviously a set, like it's obvious they've set it up to capture a certain aesthetic, but it feels very natural and real. It doesn't feel like a Hollywood set. You know, it feels like they're really in these places, which they, they are, but... And I know we keep like putting off getting into the actual film, but I want to bring this up now because maybe I missed something, but I have no idea what time period this is supposed to be because everything just seems so anachronistic by design, I think. Like you have this doctor living in a village with like electricity, but then there's a nun convent being ran out of what looks like a cave with the only illumination coming from like torches and window light. And then you have like traveling merchants peddling magic trinkets in the woods. And then like we were just, just mentioning like seemingly right down the street from the rest of the film, there are like these ancient ruins covered in ages of foliage overgrowth, like interned with skeletons. Like is, is this intentional to, you can't really peg exactly when this is happening. I mean, I've never questioned it, honestly. I've always just thought that it was taking place in the 70s when it was made and that it, like, nuns lived like that because they've taken vows of poverty and there really are, 
those sorts of ruins and cave buildings and structures in parts of Mexico. Perhaps. Did, did this opening like tomb cave strike you as like a, like a side of like Mexican architecture or like Aztec? I don't know what you'd call it. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I've really just never questioned that. Oh, I mean, I, I, I really like this quality of the film because it doesn't try, at least to me anyway, it doesn't seem like it tries to, to be like a period piece. It just, it just be, it just be like that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, it, it, you know, as foreigners, we might, that might be throwing us off as well. All right. So anyway, there's this manger cave. And yeah, this this baby has just been born, and the the mother tells this other woman who's there to take the baby to the convent and to keep her protected. Um, and this will will go on to be Alucarda, but you know we're jumping forward fifteen years. So this person she hands the baby off to. Yeah, I love the way this woman looks. Woman, that's a dude. Did you think so? It is. It is a dude. Because I was wondering if that was actually the same as, uh, we're jumping ahead, as the traveling merchant that appears about 20 minutes later, 25 minutes later into the film. And it is the same actor. If you look at their face, it's the same guy. Well, I've never noticed that, but that definitely makes sense given the the way the movie unfolds. I always assumed it was a woman, but um nah, it's a dude with a fright wig. So the the woman who gave birth is obviously terrified and we hear like weird noises and groans. Like immediately this film conjures up the sort of surreal aura of fear that imbues the whole thing like i I don't know what it is exactly i'm sure the setting has something to do with it um but i'm immediately like in this movie's mental space yeah no there's no settling down you're just immediately there and you know i think part of it not not only is the setting like really well done but the sound design of what i'm assuming is supposed to be like the whispers of like Satan's madness. Like, I don't know what those noises are, but it's yeah. accurate. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, uh, this has convinced me that I'm going to order the Blu-ray of this movie just so I can see, see it remastered and hear the, the sound redone. But we, we skip ahead 15 years and we're in the convent now where um, the girl, the baby was taken at the beginning. And Leland, do you have any explanation for these nuns' outfits? None at all. I just assumed it was a cultural thing and just kept pushing. I don't know if it is a cultural thing. Um, I, I have tried to look this up before and been unable to find an answer. So if somebody out there knows more than us and has an answer, please let me know. But they're wrapped up like mummies in like white gauze. And it seems to be bloody all the time. Like 
there's red seeping through it or like it's stained with red i these outfits add a very strange dimension to an already strange movie i didn't really realize they're tinted red i just assumed they had like a like a sort of like a pink accent to them but you know what it could be it could be um it could be like blood stains from like self uh flagellation oh that is an excellent point because we see them self-flagellating yes that's probably it they're bleeding through their their gauze outfits yeah, that's fucking dark so we meet this girl justine who is supposed to be 15 and she shows up in a carriage her parents have died and she's coming to the convent as an orphan and this sort of motherly adult nun takes justine to her room and this is like an archetypal depressing convent room with nothing in it right and then i want to get this scene right because i love it the older woman leaves and justine seems to be alone in the room and then alucarda just emerges from the shadows we had no indication that she was there before like i think this is masterful Yes, this this entrance really got really got my attention, and it really really sets up the fact that this is uh, someone who's not going to be up to any good. Well, so what do you th- do? You think that at this point in the movie, Alucarda already has like an evil or devilish side? Yes, I mean, when first watching the film, I just assumed okay, there's already something wrong with her. But now knowing that the nun, her mother at the beginning, handed Alucarda off to Satan or someone who's at least the agent of Satan, I'm thinking Alucarda was like some kind of sleeper agent. Like insert her into the convent, you know, wait 15 years, and then we got we got some some possession action going on. Is there any indication that she is actually like the daughter of Satan? That Satan is the father? No, I don't think they ever talk about fathers or her father exactly because he's not in the movie. And Alucarda tells the protagonist in this very scene that she has never met her parents. Yeah, I, I, th- there's. There seems to be some demonic origin, but the movie, at least for the first like quarter, is really ambivalent about this. Like she definitely seems like she's got an evil quality, but there's also ways in which she seems innocent. She phases out of a shadow. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, like there's there's no there's no debate. There's there's something with this woman right off the bat. So they have a very strange conversation about secrets. Alucarda says she wants to show her secrets, that every day she finds new secrets, and she gives Justine a rock and says, it means that I like you. Manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, but with an evil side? I mean, you could manic pixie nightmare girl. It, it it is still the same thing. That is exactly how I watched this film, starting from this scene. Like, all right, this is just basically a really, like a really messed up indie romance. So she says, she says, <laughs> "Do you know how small creatures love each other?" 
I'll show you, I'll take you to the woods. And so they run off into the woods. And from this point on in the movie, I think Alucarda is always either running, spinning around in circles or screaming or doing multiple of those things at once. I mean, I'm just saying you thought Zach Braff like originated this archetype, but uh, this, this director in 1977 was ahead of the curve. Oh, I don't. I mean, uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girls were definitely around in the 90s. I, I don't think, was it coined up as a term then? Yeah. I, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I think uh, in some ways, as much as I like her, uh, Winona Ryder might be largely responsible for that archetype. But it worked on me. I I crushed on her growing up. So they they go to the woods and they they're looking at these small red insects like mites. They run through the grass, they giggle, they tumble over one another. Um it, do you think that this is like two teen girls being silly or do you think we're supposed to find this romantic? I I thought it was like a like a blossoming romance in a way. That's kind of how it's portrayed. With all of the other controversy this movie must have caused, this is just like a, like, like just the cherry on top of that Sunday. Well, plus I didn't look up their ages, but Alucarda might pass for a teenager. Justine is definitely not. Justine looks like at least mid twenties. Yeah, but I, I mean, we've, we've, we've done this topic to death. Do you really it's want to in- put an actual teenager through this movie? No, and this is not as egregious and as an an example as some of the other things we have seen. Mm. Um, but so this is where your your traveling merchant shows up. Um, I I know that gypsy is an offensive term, but he's credited as gypsy, and he calls himself a gypsy. So it <laughs> it was it was in vogue at the time, I suppose. Um, I I refer to him in my notes as Goat Man. Because that's what he makes me think of with his little goatee. I don't know, man. My my first thought was a uh, hobo goblin. <laughs> just, just this homeless guy in the woods looked like a goblin. I mean, that's fitting. Yeah, he he walks around sort of crouched over and like hunchbacked. Um, like, so Alucard like straight up is like, yeah, he won't hurt you. Like, really? He- like this guy? Yeah, he's asking things like, do you want to know secrets? Do you want to buy this amulet? He says it will protect against demons, which are running around like wolves in these woods. <laughs> and yeah, so Justine and Alucard go with him, and he takes them to his little gypsy camp. And this other woman reads Justine's palm, and she says, I see nothing, just shadows and darkness. Which is kind of... um cliche i suppose but i liked it anyway i mean it's just the setup right because i'm assuming she's also uh like messed up demon slash agent of darkness right so the goat man says something that offends alicarda or he thinks he offended her he says something like she's a creature of the forest and they'll be waiting for her which he just said the woods were full of demons so it makes it seem like he's implying that she is a demon. Hmm, I didn't catch that. That was my, that was the way it struck me in this viewing. 
But when he says that, Alucarda abruptly runs away and Justine chases her and they come to what looks almost like a castle and there's fog everywhere. It, so I think this is where Alucarda was born in the opening scene, in this building at least. So going back to, to what the traveling merchant said, do you think that was the trigger word to awaken the sleeper agent inside the convent? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> we were totally overthinking it. Probably, although he does seem to have some integral part in all of this. So Alucarda convinces Justine to go inside and there's there's cobwebs everywhere and there's a coffin. I mean, it looks like a trunk, but I think it's supposed to be a coffin. Cut him some slack. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> Al- beautiful set and then just trunk. <laughs> a- Alucarda says, it's as if I've been here before and I lost this world a long time ago. And then she really abruptly switches to saying, are you afraid of dying? We can die as one. I'm in love with you. This is where she says, she says, you don't know how dear you are to me. You don't know how jealous I am. You must love me to death. And I mean, the relationship does move at like the speed of light, but I suppose it has to when like the average lifespan of like the 19th century dark ages is probably like 30 years of age. (laughs) again i i think this is a contemporary film like i think it's supposed to take place in the 70s but i I could be wrong i'm not believing that but you're probably right so justine is not as enthusiastic about this loving each other to death thing but they make a a pact and they say that if they ever depart from this life they'll do it together and they do the thing where they cut their palms and share their blood. But there's all this demonic screaming and noises, and Alicarda seems possessed, and Justine just starts yelling, oh my god. Like, there's so many hysterical scenes in this movie. Like, hysterical as in everyone's running around and screaming. I think it starts here. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, th- I think the, 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 the devil whispering is going on at the same time. So they go back and we see a sermon and the priest is saying, this is uh, remarkably appropriate. The priest is saying that the devil possesses people and uses their organs for his pleasure. I really liked that way of describing it. I think this is the first scene that has the giant crucifix in the background. It seems very traditional Catholic church to me. Except it's, you know, in a cave. Well, yeah, but I, I think that's the way some of these are in, in Latin America. I don't if, know. I, I love the set. I love I, the setting, but I'm not taken aback by it. If I remember right. Um, okay. I just went back and looked at it. So like the cave wall also has rock formations that are shaped also kind of like crucifixes. Right. It, it really, it's really cool. It, it gives the impression of, you know, when people go crazy and they draw crucifixes all over their walls in their in, insane asylum cells. <laughs> How's that look? Yes, that that is spot on. As as he's giving this sermon about the devil possessing people and using their organs for pleasure, we see the facial expressions of people in the audience, 
And some look scared, some look disgusted, some seem like mid-orgasm. Like there's a very weird array of facial expressions. And Justine collapses. She, we, we wake up with her back in her room and she doesn't want to be left alone, but Alicarda volunteers to stay with her. And at this point, I noted that I can't tell if Alucarda, if the woman who plays her, and her name is Tina Romero. She also played her mother in the film, by the way. Yeah. Um, but I can't tell if Tina Romero is a really great actress or if she just has a look that fits this character. Has she been in anything else? Not that I've seen. She has 71 credits on IMDb. Looks like a lot of Mexican TV shows. Yeah, I've definitely never seen any of these. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. She she definitely get, makes an impression. She's definitely doing something right. Yeah. Well, did something right with her career. Yeah, she, I mean, I don't. I've never seen any of her other work and I don't know her reputation outside the United States. She's still alive. She's still doing stuff. Right. I just, I can't imagine that she would ever be known for anything other than this role. Like it seems like this would be a career defining role. You'd think, but a lot of these titles are not looking like satanic horror films. (laughs) No, I mean, maybe they just did a mastery with, her hair and her look i she comes across like a demon the whole movie she says that the nuns are monsters and that she's hearing voices in the woods and there's no one left but you and me uh, her and justine and see it seems like this where she's saying she's hearing voices where it seems like she hasn't she's not some sort of master witch right like there is some degree to which she's innocent and being taken advantage of by the forces of evil. Oh, I definitely think there is a touch of magic involved. There is a touch of, of corruption there. Maybe it just hasn't taken hold yet. Maybe she was just waiting for the right, the right orphan to come by before going full manic pixie nightmare girl. Well, if you weren't invested in this movie up to this scene i think this is the scene that does it alicarda is saying names for demons like beelzebub and astaroth and screaming and twirling in circles like classic possessed behavior right and she rips the crucifix from justine's neck and she says again that we'll make a pact and we'll seal it with blood, and we'll make everybody else pay. And then the goat man shows up and screams that there will be rain and thunder, and a storm starts. And suddenly, Alicarda is naked, and then the goat man strips Justine naked, and there's rain and fog blowing in through the window. The goat man cuts each of them on the breast and feeds them each other's blood. It starts to rain blood. Justine and Alucarda make out. What did you think of this scene overall? It, it, this is what gets your movie banned in, in, in religious countries. All of this right here. Yeah, I, I mean, this is what elevates this beyond just uh, typical non-sploitation. 
first of all, every scene in this movie could be a painting. And we see a lot of naked women, but the female body, I mean, it's beautiful and it doesn't feel like it's being exploited here, at least not to me. It feels like it's being used for its beauty as part of the composition on screen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think the the comment about this movie having renaissance art frames is extremely accurate. Yeah, and I I love I also love how mysterious all this is. Like it doesn't need to take pains to explain everything to us because if there, if there were really supernatural events going on in a setting like this, like we wouldn't understand it all. It would be beyond our comprehension. And that's how this movie feels. Like there are elements of surrealism, but it feels like that surrealism fits the story perfectly. Nothing seems out of place. No. This whole film feels very meticulous. And unlike, say, something like um, Cave of the Sharks, right? This, everything in this movie feels absolutely intentional. Yeah, I mean, this movie was not made to market to anybody, right? Like, Moctezuma, based on this and his other movies, I would say that he was making what he wanted to make. I wish we could we could understand the trailer, because it's in Spanish, because, you know, a lot of these movies are marketed as being, like, very offensive, violent, uh, you know, vulgar. And I'm wondering if the trailer takes that route. I mean, of course, the marketing and like the artistic intent are not exactly going to be the same, but it would be it would be good to know. Yeah, uh, no, I that is curious to wonder about. Um, I have no idea how this was marketed. I mean, the VHS. I'm looking at it now. The back of the box calls the goat man a shepherd. This would be more like uh, an anti-shepherd, right? So this is how this is how the back of the box describes this story so far. It says a mysterious young woman, Alucarda, materializes in Justine's room. Soon they become close in their affections and swear an oath that when one dies, the other will join her in death. They encounter a demon in the guise of a shepherd. Casting a spell on them, he leads them to his lair, where he summons Satan, who enters and possesses the girls. They, in turn, join an orgy in the forest. So that's how it describes what's the story so far. I'm, I have the movie playing in the background while we record this. Yeah. And uh, there is a scene right before the just-mentioned orgy scene ritual where... Uh, there's the nun praying in her bedroom. And now all I can see is that she is covered in dried blood stains and she has like her her flogging instrument hanging off the wall. Yeah, see it's really clear. Uh so uh, while that while that's happening, Justine and Alucarda are back in the woods with the gypsies and this is the orgy scene. There's lots of naked women circling around and one woman or the nun, we keep switching back to the nun in the convent. She's squirming around on the ground and begging God to help her and not to abandon her. And 
all right, this is my first viewing where I've noticed this, but whenever the camera switches to in the convent watching the nun, the camera angle is perfectly vertical where everything in the frame is where it should be. When the camera is in the woods with the orgy, it's all at crazy weird angles like diagonal and upwards and from weird positions. And I, I like that contrast where like in the convent, everything is normal and orderly. And in the woods, everything is surreal and off kilter. I'm watching it right now. And I wouldn't say the uh, convent camera is overhead, but it is very stable, very direct. Everything is in frame. And then, it, yeah, it goes to the <laughs> to the ritual and it's askew to the side. Yeah, so I really like that. I think it's a really effective way and it's not obnoxious because i've never even really noticed it before but it it accomplishes what it needs to and this is one of my favorite witch orgy in the forest scenes that i've ever seen i mean lots of like witch movies have scenes like this right um yeah, probably make a top five list yeah i, I suppose <laughs> this and the other movie that has to be up there is that Italian exorcist ripoff, The Tempter, which has like the psychic goat oral yeah. sex scene. Is that the one with the goat? Yeah, that's the one with the goat. <laughs> yeah, okay. I remember that one. So I got two on my list. <laughs> yeah, this one and that one, I think, uh, have to be up there. There was the one in The Witch, but that was very artistically done. Yeah, that one was pretty tame compared to the other two. Well, the Wait, you're talking about the Vivich, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. To uh, to add to the archetypal nature of this orgy scene, um, a man wearing a goat head shows up, and the goat man is the goat headed man is running his hands over everybody as they're having sex. And we see the nun in the convent crying blood and and eventually like soaked in blood. And then is one of the girls in the orgy struck by lightning? Is that what happens here? Uh, so first off, uh, when we say goat man, we're not talking about the merchant. This is literally a giant man with the head of a goat. Right, right. <laughs> Completely different goat man. Um. Yeah, I think what happens here is the nun appeals to a higher power and God just absolutely smites the cult member. And this strikes me, and this continues throughout the film, I suppose. This strikes me as like a very as, as like very atypical of your normal like heaven versus hell in like an IRL setting fair because usually in these scenarios you have demons and, and devils actively manifesting like magic and mayhem while the servants of the light just have to fight for themselves using a combination of like secular means and maybe some holy water and a crucifix here and there. But here are our like Lord and Savior Jesus Christ makes his sick 360 no scope sniper shot and it downs this cultist 
I think that is what happens. Yeah, but there's like an explosion of blood, right? Like this is no typical lightning strike. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a smite. She is smitten. You don't so come back from that. At at that shot, we switch to part two, and it says. Yeah, I guess that kills the party, huh? Like, oh, the, the, the vibe is over. Yeah. And we hear another sermon about the devil using bodies. And Justine kind of interrupts this. And her and, or Alucarda does. And her and Justine start pledging to Satan. I have to say, like, as they're pledging to Satan and chasing each other around a circle and being really disruptive... It, this scene is quite effective at what they're trying to do. Like this kind of stuff makes me feel panicked where it's just like hysterical. And I think this, this setup work. Well, I think it works because the setup is so good. Like any of the cinematography up to this point had not been like exceptional or like the scenery hadn't been so, so well, it, it's, it's so easy to fall into this. It's so easy. Yeah, but there are little silly things that take me out of it. Like in the next scene, we see a, a nun telling on them to the mother superior. And this nun has like a thick Brooklyn accent. I mean, I love the way she talks, but it's it's out of place in the scene. Um, I mean, you're right. She has like no accent, no like inflection. I'm sorry, not no accent, but like it's not... It's not regional, but maybe you could just chalk that up to the, you know, weird ethereal nature of this film. Well, and when you're into films like this, like you kind of just accept bad dubbing. It's just part of the territory. That's that's also probably why I didn't notice it. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. We like there's a bunch of stuff here about. Justine and Alucarda both acting somewhat possessed, like being scared of crosses and going in confession and having possession voices and all of that. At some point, we see the priest talking to the mother superior and she's being like, she's being flagellated, like whipped. They all treat it so casually. You know, it's obvious this is a normal chain of events. Yeah. I mean, I guess the robes should have been like uh, kind of like foresight to this but i totally missed it uh, do you think it's hard to root for the good guys when they're like self-flagellating and f followed by what they do in the next couple scenes i mean i don't really think of them as the good guys in this no, movie. definitely not but you would think that they're supposed to be framed as such like i seem if anything, given when this movie came out, most of the like things that we typically value in a movie seem to be associated with the girls and with Satanism. Like think about return to nature, free love, freedom from constraints and from uh, oppressive society. Like all those, all those romanticism ideals is like Justine and Alicarda. I'd almost say this is like a pro-Satanism movie. I don't know if pro-Satanism is the right term. Because they're not exactly depicted as great people either. No. I mean, no one in this movie is like a great person. No. Ev I think everyone is flawed. 
so at, at some point we find out that the the priest thinks that this is a sixth category demon that hates light <laughs> i wrote that down too sixth category demon yeah does that mean anything to you not a damn thing i, I wonder if it's actually an official designation or if they made it up so yeah uh, he is referring to Spina's classification of demons who was a guy in 1467 who prepared a entire classification guide <clears throat> and the sixth category belongs to incubi and succubi and succubi so the the, re the 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 reverend here is basically saying that these these two women are trying to tempt people into sin yeah so so that makes perfect sense given the context he says that they have to prepare an exorcism and they strap them down. And I like this. They say um, that the mark of the devil has to be somewhere on her skin, but this is really just an excuse to strip her naked. You, you think it was just an excuse? Cause I mean, it definitely never comes up again. <laughs> no, it's just an excuse to get her naked. Mm. The Alicard is screaming like Justine and um, the priest is telling the demon to leave the bosom of God. I liked that phrase. Now, do you mean it's an excuse for the script or an excuse for the priests? An excuse for the script. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's important to clarify for this film. So there's a lot going on here. Uh, there's bloodletting. Nuns start rolling around the floor and bleeding. The nuns always look bloody in this movie. Yeah, but I think they... They're like magically induced menstruative cycles or something. Maybe. So this this guy shows up. He's like a benefactor. But he I also is he a doctor? Are you talking about the tall guy with the glasses? Yeah. That is a doctor. He's in the beginning of the film for one scene where he is actually taking his daughter out of the convent because her summer vacay with the convent is over. Yeah, so when he... Oh, yeah, because his daughter is, like, blind or something, right? Yeah, so I don't know exactly why she was in the convent, but I guess it was more to, like, teach her some life skills so she can, like, more better, you know, live by herself or something. Yeah, but he he's furious that they're torturing Justine and Alicarda, and he says they're returning things to the 15th century and that they've ruined Justine. And so he decides to take Alicarda with him to protect her. This is after Justine is dead. Yeah, Justine is presumably dead. And the, the nun, the nun that was like really into Justine, she gives the mother superior this whole angry speech. Like she has no concern for Alicarda being taken away. Only Justine. Well, I don't think she cares about Alicarda being taken away because... A la carta is undoubtedly more safe with the doctor. Yeah, that's true. But she did she did have a thing for Justine. And I think that this nun, we have not said her name at all the entire time. I think this nun is probably like the only sympathetic character for the church. Oh yeah, extremely. We Alicarta wakes up from a nightmare at and, and meets the doctor's blind daughter and they start professing their love for each other already. It's a common theme throughout this film that 
I mean, I don't think a la carte is trying to be like emotionally manipulative here. I think she's being earnest when she says she's having these dreams, she's hearing voices, and she doesn't necessarily like it. So yeah. her agency is definitely not 100%. And why I don't think this is necessarily a, a pro-Satanism film is because she, this, Alucard is basically just being used as a chess piece in this like struggle of good versus evil, just like every other character in this film. Yeah, that that's a good point. Shortly after this, we find out Justine's body is missing and the nun runs in and says like, come quickly. And then there's Scooby-Doo music, or that's how I described it in my notes as they all rush upstairs. Um, <laughs> Can I play that? Sure. Mother Superior, doctor, come quickly. <laughs> if it's quite scooby-doo but yeah that is a, definitely a stark contrast from every other piece of music in this film yeah so we see this like burned alive corpse this is part three by the way we see a burned alive corpse it starts to move and the priest chops its head off who is this corpse i just assumed it was a random nun who uh stood in the way of of justine justine as she was leaving the the convent yeah i i just i was i was unsure if i missed something like i missed the the scene revealing this this person but we get a wonderful shot of justine soaked in blood rising out of a coffin and clawing a nun i really liked this scene i thought it was fantastic she definitely transformed into something, but like what? <laughs> like she's she's kind of like vampire esque in a way. Yeah, she. There's a nurse, and it looks like they're going to to make out for a moment. Like they kind of moan one another's names, but then the doctor shows up and starts throwing holy water, which burns Justine. So we know that. Justine, like we know for certain now that she's possessed or something evil definitely under the influence of evil now this nurse was doing the right thing again the only sympathetic character of this film to a degree right well, like without any uncertainty at least right she, she calms justine down she calms down Peril Justine before the doctor comes in and just fucks everything up. Yeah, there's... Uh, so, Justine just disappears from the movie right here, right? Like, she just kind of smokes and burns up? Yeah, she did. Yeah. She's banished from the... But see, it's her, second, it's her second death, so you have to wonder. I mean... I mean, how do you come back from being dissolved, though, right? <laughs> like yeah, I guess there's no return from that. You say in D&D, &D, you can't resurrect someone that's been incinerated or, you know, demolecularized in some way. So we are up on the, the climax and the resolution of Alucarda because Alucarda just starts 
making nuns fucking burst into flames. <laughs> she just stares at them with her eyes and makes people explode. Right? And she burns up the crucifix. She keeps screaming and spinning in circles and waving her arms crazily and, and making nuns spontaneously combust. So... <laughs> finale is wild man like you you never see stuntmen get set on fire anymore like, right but that's certainly being done here i mean it probably has something to do with like workers rights and unions and you know the director can just say we can do it in post so no one gets hurt but like yeah i guess the, the fucking libs ruined this because like for real these these guys being set on fire these stunt actors like clearly don't have any face protection or anything and they're just withering around on the floor like for prolonged scenes just full like the ropes fully engulfed in fire yeah it it's really well done and it's really intense i have a hard time believing like everybody that anybody made it out unscathed i don't know i i didn't do a lot of research on this movie i've been really busy but um I, I've read about it before and I haven't found a lot about I was about to say I don't think you're gonna find very much. Yeah. Again, I I'll let, I'll update you if I get the Blu-ray and, and maybe there's special features. But we resolve with Alicarda just disappears and we see the crucifix burning. Roll credits. Was this a satisfying conclusion to you? It's definitely not a typical conclusion. Well, I mean it seems like Alucarda runs out of mana, so she like can't set anyone else on fire anymore. But then they bring out the nun, whose name we still haven't said. And I don't know what what is this episode nine? We'll get our shit together eventually and have like a list of the names. Which Sister Angelica? Is that it? Maybe. It's Sister Angelica. We're gonna go with Sister Angelica, and if we're wrong, then we're wrong. But at the end, what? What puts Alucarda down is like this effigy. They, they this impromptu effigy they made of like a crucified Sister Angelica, and like this is apparently so shocking and so holy that it like instantly banishes her into the underground. Yeah, I mean, so if you try to think about this movie logically, and I certainly don't advise doing so. Like, <laughs> this is like a dream logic movie here, but. So the devil is potentially Alucarda's father, but he had some plan for her as a baby. His plan was apparently that she would go to the convent, and then when she turned 15, she'd become possessed, and she'd kill all the nuns. Like, seems like there's a lot easier a way that he could have gone about accomplishing this plan. You know, Satan works in mysterious ways. Oh, true. <laughs> Far be it from me, a mere mortal, to try to speculate on his intentions. Man, just looking back through this this finale scene is it is so intense. Like all the firework. Yeah, intense is a good word for this entire movie. So we gotta wrap this up. It is getting late. Will you give your final thoughts and a rating for this? I just want to watch Alucarda like disappear into the ground. Make sure I remember this right. She starts doing like the I'm melting thing from Wizard of Oz. Yeah. She does her mag magic pixie girl twirl. 
And then, then, oh wow, this is really dragged out. Yeah, it's almost like she's just like banished into the underworld or something. She doesn't even die. She just fades away. Yep. I, I think this ending is fine. I, I, this is, I have no complaints with how this ended. Like the covenant's destroyed. The demon is banished. Everything, everything is, is, is resolved. Yeah, nah, this ending's fine. All right, final thoughts. You know, like imagine if like Ingmar Bergman and like Alejandro Jodorowsky formed a dream wrestling tag team. This film is like the slapdown they'd bring to the ring. Like this film is, I think, I think it's like essentially a blatant critique of of like religion and science and the human condition. And it's all held together by fantastical magic events and overindulgent religious iconography where every faction thinks they're at the helm of the ship, that their cause is right or infallible. Except mostly, God, we didn't talk about this, but like the doctor who's all about science and like knowledge and like the, the collective like the collective goodness of mankind and like the secular world just like throws all that shit under the bus at the drop of a hat or like the drop of a nun's coif, I guess. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but I don't know what else you would do in this situation. I mean, I mean, obviously science is not the answer in this world, in this a la carte universe, but, but like the, the reality of this, ethereal world i feel like i've said that word too much is is that like none of them really have the answers none of them are in control and they're all seemingly blinded by this like biased flawed search for for truth and purpose or whatever ends they are trying to achieve like like good versus evil but that's that's kind of like the impression I got. But that does seem pretty, like a pretty dystopian modern message for a '70s film, right? Where just like everyone sucks in their own special way. Now the '70s were pretty dystopian. Yeah, it's just all the characters just feel like they're, especially Alacarta and Justine, are just caught in this crossfire of conflicting ambitions and dividing motivations. And all of these themes are laid out over this setting out of time. I, I still think it's bizarre. I, I struggle to believe this is actually supposed to take place in like a modern day 70s. But I think all of this together just makes a la carta an instant classic for me. Like th this is a must watch. I think for anyone with, with even a modicum of interest in like the esoteric occult and sinister manic pixie dream girls four stars all right so i don't i don't take this film quite as seriously as leland does um i i don't see a critique of anything here maybe i'm overselling it i don't know i i think there's a lot here i i think this is all just an excuse to show nuns exploding and getting naked <laughs> really quite like that it's not that bad. All right, all right, all right. But with that said, it's beautifully done. 
the scenes, as I said earlier, between the setting and the camera work and the set design, you could take any frame out of this and, and print it off and frame it and it would make a great painting. Like the, there's a mastery of imagery here that's really strong. Um, it's hard to tell if the performances are good because of the dubbing, but they're not bad. Um, and Alucarda especially has a certain intensity that makes her perfect for this part. I think within the world of non-sploitation, uh, this is probably my favorite. And whether it's intentional or not, I think that it has the most going on besides just lesbian sex scenes, right? And it takes some of those tropes from like the world of exorcism films too. So I enjoy this one a lot. I don't think it's a perfect film. I'll give it three and a half stars. Oh man, that's a shame. No, I think this movie, this is a four star movie. No, this is, it's good. Don't get me wrong. I agree. Everyone should watch it, especially if you're into these sorts of things, but it's not perfect. But I don't want to rag on it at all. Like this, this is a, this movie deserves high praise, but three and a half stars from me. So that's it for Alucarda. Next week, I'm really excited. We're doing a film from the 1990s, a little late for us, called Teenage Topello. So this movie was directed by John Michael McCarthy, who I had never heard of before, but he's directed a series of independent films, like really low budget independent films into the into pretty recently. I think his his most recent movie came out in like 2009 and I'm going to go seek out all his movies now because I'm a huge fan of this. Uh, I keep describing it as like if David Lynch and Russ Meyer and John Waters all got together and made a movie, it would be like this. This is a tough one to find. It might be available somewhere online. I know that you can get it from some bootleg sites, uh, but this is an obscure one. Um, but I want to cover it because I want to bring attention to it. And I want to talk with other people who have seen it just because it's rare that I see a movie in the 90s, but that legit feels like it came out in the 70s and has this level of surrealism and artistry, but like no one talks about it. Um, or has seen it. So I'm really excited to talk about it. So check that out if you can and join us next week for Teenage Tapello. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. I post everything we do there and please reach out. Let us know what you think. Give us recommendations. Tell me if you really need a copy of Teenage Tapello. And... Leland, you got any last words? You know, should we be watching some more garbage on this podcast? Because it feels like kind of a natural rating almost everything, like three plus stars. Mm, I don't know. I'm all for just watching things that we enjoy. Mm. Yeah. But well, how about after we, do, after we do Teenage Tapello, which you might hate, by the way. I really don't know. Um, let's do Headless Eyes, which I sent you a copy of. I really like the movie, but it's certainly not good. It will not be a three-star movie. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I mean, neither was Night Killer, right? But all right, uh, that sounds good. But um, yeah, I really like it. Um, it it captures that grungy New York from the seventies really well. Uh, any last words for this podcast? Yeah. Well, I mean, as always, listeners, thank you for your continued support. All right. Uh, I appreciate it as well. So with that, uh, that's all for this week. Join us next week for Teenage Tapello. Bye. I don't know. I can't say anything right at this point. You could say peace. Peace. No.